Judges chapter 13 and 14 tonight, in our verse-by-verse exposition, uh, we come to the life of Samson. Samson's an interesting fellow, a very sad commentary on his life, only due to the great potential he had and the shortfall of that potential. Um, Jesus uh, taught that to those of much is given, much more is required. You as a parent, when you have children and they're growing up and you're training them, you're teaching them, you certainly um, hold them more accountable the longer years they've been with you. When you leave them with certain responsibilities or you ask them to do certain things, if they don't comply, then you hold them uh, to a greater consequence. And so the same with our lives, wherever we might be. Depending on how many years we're walking with the Lord, what we're doing, what's going on. God is the same. If we do that as human beings, how much more God? Him in a perfect way. We make mistakes. He does not make mistakes at all. His judgments will be righteous. Um, Samson here is presented to us in chapter 13 as an announced verse before it happens. Uh, the angel of the Lord is the one who's going to declare this, which is a pre-incarnation of Jesus Christ. The phrase is found some 13 times in the chapter. Uh, it's been found 10, 11 times up to this point. Uh, it's a phrase that we're familiar with, and um, but they're not going to know it at the time. In the morning, we didn't end up studying the entire chapter. We'll go through in general commentary. Here in chapter 13, verse 1 through 5, you have the prophecy of the birth of Samson um, that's revealed to his mother. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. The phrase is repeated over and over again. Here's the cycle. They just they go back. We're going to see 40. This is the longest of bondage. Um, they return back to bondage, repeated for the seventh time from the last time. And um, the usual response of God is he turns them over to bondage. God will be patient. God will be loving. God will be gracious. But at times he turns us over. There's two ways God can judge us. Either he can deal with us severely, worse yet, let us have our way. That's greater judgment. Because then we think we're pleasing God. He's not doing anything. In verse 2, now there was a certain man from Zorah. Uh, of the family of the Danites, uh, whose name was uh, Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. Uh, Zorah is there again, the same latitude as uh, Jerusalem, not too far west towards the, the Mediterranean, but not quite over there. It's a uh, bordering between Judah um, and, and, and Benjamin when you look at the map, and then the Gaza strips on the southernmost side where the Philistines, as we'll see here. Um, she's barren, uh, a condition that was uh, that of uh, shame, that of disfavor with God. All the patriarchs, their wives, Sarah, Rebecca, uh, they, they were barren, God intervened. We're also going to have the announcement of, of the birth of Samuel in 1 Samuel 1. You have that of John the Baptist in Luke 2. Um, God choosing people, calling people, preparing people way before. For God, that's not a problem. Um, we should be amazed if a man could do that. But if he does that, we know he's got a radio in his ear or something because no man knows the, 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 the future. And so um, when God reveals all these things, it's, it's not to impress us. It's just to constantly give us affirmation and prove that he is God. And so here again, um, she's barren and he's going to reveal the birth of her son-to-be. In verse 3, the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne uh, no child, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Um, again, uh, very specific. It's going to be a boy. Uh, and you're barren, but you are going to be able to conceive because I'm the one that made your body. I'm the one that does this. And, and again, I mentioned before that we've had people we've prayed for, anointed with all. They've had children when they've tried other means. That doesn't mean everyone. doesn't mean there's thousands of them. But what I'm saying is, you know, God is the one that wants you to go to him. That doesn't mean you can't go to a doctor or whatever it may be. But push comes to shove when nothing, hey, but you know what? Let's go to God first. <laughs> 
Let's not let God be the last resort. You know what I mean? Let him be the first. And so here again, verse 4. Now, therefore, uh, please be careful not to drink a um, similar drink. And uh, not to uh, uh, drink wine, similar drink. And not to eat anything unclean. And as we're going to see, this is the... the um, Prohibitions to the Nazarite vow because she's the mother. She's going to be under the same prohibition. Uh, this was uh, uh, in Numbers chapter six, verse one through twenty-one. All the specifics are given there. This is not for uh, as a, as a, a demand on anybody. The Nazarite vow was voluntary. Now, Samson, he's called to be a Nazarite. We're going to see till the day of his death. Okay. And uh, the, the, here he's not to eat a drink, the strong drink, wine, or anything that would intoxicate him. Unclean foods that would defile him. In verse 5, it says, For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the, uh, from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel at the hand of, um, out of the hand of the Philistines. And so once again here, you have no intoxicating drink or strong drink, grapes, raisins, things that, that kind of break down, ferment, um, certain unclean foods. They had a list of them in the book of Leviticus and the not shaving of the hair, letting it grow. This was the identity of a Nazarite. John the Baptist was called to be a Nazarite also in Luke one fifteen. And so we have these other men in Scripture and here. Again, the secret of Samson was not his hair, as many people make a mistake when Delilah cuts his hair. No, it was the power of God, the Spirit of God, as we'll see at the end of the chapter and the ongoing chapters. It is not what we possess, not what we do, not what we wear, but who possesses us. There's the power. And so God wants to do so many things through Samson as well as through you and through myself as we give ourselves to him. And so here um, he reveals to the woman his birth prior to the time. She was most likely elated, being barren all these years. We have many through the scriptures, the widow of uh, in the Old Testament where Elisha tells her she's going to have a son, then he dies and he brings him back to life and uh, other records in the Old Testament, incredible. In verse 6 here to 14, the prophecy of his birth of Samson now is revealed to the father. The father was not present when she was there, when the uh, man of God, which we're going to see, she took for a prophet. He says, so the woman came and told her husband, saying, a man of God, meaning a prophet, came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God, very awesome. So, though she took him for a man of God, a prophet, she noticed there was something peculiar about him. His face glowed or shined, and it gave her a sense of awesome fear. And the word uh, awesome there means, sometimes in the old King James, it's translated terrible. But awesome means an awe. It makes you stand back and, and take a double take. And that's what it's speaking about with the kind of background of fear to an extent but i did not ask him where he was from and he did not tell me his name so he just appeared he reveals it she was overtaken she didn't say nothing ask nothing and he was gone now again the angel of the lord is jesus christ okay he appeared to abraham he appeared to joshua that we've seen um, he appeared to Gideon in chapter 6. He appears here, and he'll continue to appear throughout the Old Testament. Now, in verse 7, he said to me, as she uh, is speaking, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 6, So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the counsel of an angel um, of God, very awesome. And I didn't ask his name. And then verse 7, he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, not drink no wine, similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So she relates this uh, information to him, 
And again, understanding the prohibitions. And then in verse 8, Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord God, please let man of God whom you sent come to us again and to teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. In other words, here we have a proper response as we've stated in the morning of the father, the head of the home, seeking the Lord for wisdom. Um, you men who are heads of your home and you have children, um, the awesome privilege and response we have to go to the Lord to pray for our families. Lord, give me wisdom to raise my son, my daughter. Uh, give me wisdom for the situation that I have to deal with. Lord, give me us wisdom where we're, mo- where we, we're gonna move, where we live, what we're gonna do. Uh, all the different things so that God can guide and direct you. Uh, for you are the priest of the home. You're to lead your wife as Christ loved the church. You're to love your bride as, uh, as you are dependent upon God, he will give you that wisdom and direction. And um, that's God's order. From Genesis, God created Adam and then brought Eve into Adam so that he might be complete. And he is the federal head. That's why through him, sin and death was passed on to all of us, Romans 5.12. He was created first and he was not deceived. He transgressed. Eve was deceived, and yet God holds Adam responsible because he is the head of the human race as the federal head and the head over the wife. Not as a dictator, not as some tyrant, but as a loving type of Christ. And so, in verse 9, God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God, Jesus here, came to the woman again and uh, she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And the woman ran in haste and told her husband, you can imagine, she's freaking out. You know, all of a sudden he's here and my husband's not with me again. She hauls over there and, and says to him, look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. And maybe even at this point, maybe Manoah say, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe, you know, you've been out working in the sun too much or something. So Manoah arose in verse 11 and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he saw him and he said, are you the man who spoke to this woman? <laughs> this woman. Kind of a weird phrase, huh? Not my wife. And he said, I am. And Manoah said, now let your words come to pass. Here he's expressing faith in what he has revealed. He's taking them for a man of God, a prophet. And they understood that God sent out prophets to call back the people of God to repentance. When the people of God had corrupted themselves, even the Levitical priesthood, then God would send prophets out to declare repentance to his people. That was the primary function of a prophet, to proclaim and be the mouthpiece of God. Secondly, he would sometimes reveal future things. Sadly, too often, Christians interpret a prophet's primary function was to reveal future things like prophecies. No, their primary function was to be the mouthpiece of God, to call the people of God back to God through repentance. And once in a while, they reveal future things. And so we're in the time when every man is doing what's right in his own eyes. No man's on the throne of Israel. And so here we have a, a couple that uh, seems to have uh, been seeking the Lord on their own. And even like in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth fits into the period of the book of Judges. And yet the book of Ruth is like night and day compared to the period that we're seeing here in the book of Judges. Yet it fits right in this period. People who are trusting God and those who are just living for sin. So Manoah said... Let your words come to pass, expressing biblical faith, always pointing to the revelation of God. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? In other words, the nature of what God is preparing him for. And the angel, the Lord, said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful, diligent. Here God gives the oversight to the husband over his wife. Again, women live as just destroyed any type of insinuation that a woman has to submit. Submission in the Bible is never in terms of inferiority. 
Submission is in terms of effectiveness. That's what it's taught in the scriptures. A woman submits to the man in the pattern design that God has made for a man and a woman. The man being the head, the woman being the completion for efficiency in the home and in the relationship. And so he's to oversee that she do everything diligently. Verse 14, she may not eat anything that comes from the vine. Or may she drink wine of similar drink or eat anything unclean. All that I command her, let her observe. So the eating, the drinking of fermented wine and such strong drink. And it's under the authority of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. This is divine revelation that she is under. She's going to be the instrument by which Samson is going to be born. She is under this vow until his birth, and he will continue this to the day of his death. In verse 15, on down to 24. We have here now, as they rejoice in the birth of John, uh, not John, but Samson here, that the angel of the Lord has revealed to them, and all of a sudden, Manoah, in verse 15, said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you. And we will prepare a young goat for you. And so, once again, from 15 to 25, the prophecy being fulfilled about the birth of Samson is responded to by the parents here. And um, their desire is to um, give a feast, uh, have a meal, have hospitality. Uh, we see it in the Old Testament. Abraham. God met him with two other angels, and they ate with God. And then the angels went on to Sodom and Gomorrah. And we see many situations like that. It was the closest thing you can do in that culture. Um, verse 16, the angel of the Lord, Jesus here responds and says to Manoah, Though you detain me. It's interesting, Manoah means rest. It seems to be this man is resting in the Lord, and he's trusting in the Lord completely. Um, Though you retain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, a burnt offering was for dedication and consecration unto God. It would be placed on the altar and be totally consumed. The meal offering that we'll see was for service from grain. That you would be doing the work of the Lord. And you must offer it to the Lord. All capital letters, Yahweh. And then the commentary is, for Manoah did not know... He was the angel of the Lord. So at this point, they still take him for a prophet, a man of God. In 17, then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? So they not only offer hospitality, but they want to honor him when this prophecy comes to pass. I mean, they're stoked. They're going to have a son. It's just him and her. And you know, when you're married, it's great. When you're first married, and that's great. But then, you know, children have to come. And when they come, it's such a joy. You just can't believe as you take that baby home and you just rip everything off and lay them there on the bed, make sure all the equipment's there and everything, count the toes and everything. And, and the incredible detail of a little child, the little nails, the gummy bear lips and ears. It's just amazing. And you both sit there and you're young and you go, Man, God allowed us to make something like that. So much like the mom, so much like the father. At that point, you can't tell it. But as he begins to grow and develop mature, man, those genetic characteristics will sprout out. It's amazing. God's grace over our life. Now, Manoah said to the angel, verse 17, What is your name? They want to honor him. And the angel of the Lord said, 
to him, Why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. Now, the word wonderful means extraordinary, surpassing. In other words, it's dealing with the character and the nature of God. The things that he does all relate to his nature. He does things and he can accomplish things in ways that are beyond our human understanding. It is the nature and character of God and this being Jesus Christ also declares his nature for he is the second person of the Trinity. He's all powerful, all knowing, all present. He's remarkable, extraordinary, incomprehensible. And it's related, the same word wonderful, related is a cognate word to Isaiah 9, 6, where it says about Jesus Christ, he will be called wonderful. And so, here again in 19, Manoah took the young goat and the grain offering and offered it upon the rock uh, to the Lord. So there was a rock altar there. And he did it. He did a wonderful thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. So, his name being Wonderful Secret. Now he does a wondrous thing related to his nature, his capacity. The way he works. It happened as the flame went up towards heaven from the altar. The angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. Just like Gideon in chapter 6. As he appeared to him. Now they at this point clearly understand this is not a prophet. This is God himself. They respond when Manoah and his wife saw this. They fell on their faces to the ground. They worshipped. What else can you do when you understand who it is? That is before you. And so when the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife. We shall surely die. Because we have seen God. God told Moses. No man can see me and live in Exodus 33.20. It's throughout the scriptures in the New Testament. Paul tells it to Timothy. He dwells in a light that's unapproachable. And yet we have access to the throne of grace any time as children of God. No man has ever seen God. They've seen manifestations of God in a pillar of fire and a cloud and thunder and lightning. But no man has seen God. When it says in Exodus that Moses saw And the elders ate with God. It means they saw manifestation. Be it the pillar of fire. Be it the thunder. The lightning. God giving evidence to demonstrate his presence. But no man has ever seen God. And the reason this is a Christophany. Because no one has seen the Father. John 1.18 says it's Jesus who descends and ministers. And makes the Father known. The Father has never descended. It's the Son. And so... In verse 23, but his wife said to him, so she straightens him up here. If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hand. Nor would he have shown us all these things. Nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. Good, good theology. (laughs) Sound theology. Verse 24, so the woman bore a son, the fulfillment, and called his name Samson, like the son. He should have been like the son, S-O-N. He should have been living in the light of heaven's son, but he chose darkness, as we'll see. Great potential. What an exciting time for these parents. They are going to have a kid. God's going to use them. And they're believing God for the best. But God does not force people. And sometimes we are sadly disappointed with our children. The choices they make. Now, you have to be careful when your children go haywire. 
And you have to make sure that you discipline them and you deal with them according to Scripture, not your emotions. You have to make sure that you bring sufficient consequences, but adequate consequences that are inappropriate to the crime or the failure. In other words, when a child is six or seven and they break a cup, you don't lock them up in the room for a week. It's in proportion. You're teaching. They get older. The consequences become more serious, right? But you must bring consequence because if you as the head of the home, the father, does not bring consequence to your child, you will be part and parcel of his own destruction. You will be teaching them to not disobey. You will be teaching that you have no authority over them. And they will be the ones in control. And that's not to be. And all of us have seen a mom or a dad at the store with little Johnny running the whole show. And they're saying, Johnny, one more. If you do, if, if you, you, just, ooh, you just do it one more time. Oh, and, and, and Johnny knows he's got at least a hundred times before anything's done. He's a good learner. And especially when your kids get a little older in the teens or even in their early 20s, they live in your home, they're under your roof, they're under your authority. My children are over 18, they don't want to live in the home under my authority, my rules. They can take the front door or the back door, either one. Doesn't mean I hate them, it means my house serves the Lord. And that's just the way it is. They can honor the Lord and behave themselves, fine. If not, they need to go find a place. Sadly, too often parents are not bringing the consequence to their children. And they actually become part of their own destruction. And it's always a sad day. And so, um, the Lord blessed Samson. He enabled him, equipped him. In 25, the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mehni Dan, the camp of Dan, between Zorah and Eshkol, only about, about 10 miles um, east of the two cities that are probably about four miles apart. Um, to the east, you've got Gaza Strip and the Mediterranean. And here God is moving him, urging him. But he doesn't force him to be used. God called him. God enabled him, God empowered him, and Samson did not do what God called him to do. Wow. It's like you being a father and you equip your son, you train him to be decent and respectful and you give him a good education and, and you sacrifice and you prepare him for life. And then when he gets done, he just chooses to just go party and not get a job. And he ends up an alcoholic. That would be tragic. All that waste. How much more when God calls and enables us. The priority and privilege of your call is the priority and the privilege. Your call. Not what he's called you to do. But the fact that he's called you. And called me to do whatever it is that he has enabled me to do. Somebody can replace me when I'm gone. But no one can do what God has called me to do. That's only for me. God is very, very personal. And so the secret of um, Samson is here. The spirit. Now... I don't think that Samson was some kind of, you know, muscle man, some atlas guy. I think that he is probably more like a skinny little rail. Kind of like olive oil or Gilligan. If you're old enough, you'll know who I mean by Gilligan. You know, because what glory is it for a guy that, you know, guys down with Don Thomas, how big he is, to pick up some gates. That's no big deal. Well, look how big that guy is. But a little skinny weasel picks it up and takes it out. Whoa, you got to give the glory to God, right? God says, not many mighty, not, not many noble. 
God uses the weak things of this world to confound the wise, he tells the Corinthians. And so God gets the glory. That's the important thing. Now, in chapter 14, Samson um, doesn't start off very good. Notice that he began to move upon him, but he never finished doing the work of God as was prophesied earlier. Now Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Here's the compromise of Samson, to fall in love with a pagan. Samson had a horrible disease. He loved pagan women. He was attracted. And of course, I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek because everything today is said to be a disease. (laughs) It's not a disease. It's a choice he made. He hung around, around pagan people, not the people of God. And when people who are believers hang out more with non-believers, that non-believing influence will grab a hold of them. He went down to Timna, referring to the geographical altitude of the town. But even in this, what a truth is signified here. As we become friends of the world, and we are attracted and we go down into the world, the direction we go is down. When we walk with God, we go up. Because the world will ensnare us and snag us. When you're first in the Lord, the world is real fresh, so you need to cut off everything. When some people don't, they get sucked back in. But even as you walk with the Lord, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. You minister to those who are non-believers, but you don't fellowship with non-believers on Friday night or time when you want to spend time. You do that with believers. If God opens the door for me to minister, fine. When I came to the Lord, I, I, I cut off all my friends. I visited them once in a while, shared the Lord with them. But I, I didn't go party with them. I didn't go have them tell me all the things they did, you know, Friday night and Saturday night. You know, just didn't do that. That's not healthy. And sometimes people uh, play with fire, and as the Bible says, they get burnt. And so you have this repeated phrase, went down, verse 1, 5, 7, 10, and 19. Remember Jonah? He went down to go to sleep. <laughs> he was running from the Lord. You run from the Lord, you're going down. Okay? Come on, you sleeper, wake up and pray to your God. The ship is sinking. He saw a woman in Timnah, about four miles east of Zorah. A Philistine cutie caught his eye. If you end up marrying a pagan, don't be shocked if that's where you hang out all the time. You usually marry someone that you date. And if you date non-believers and hang out with non-believers, you will eventually marry a non-believer. And you will be adding hurt to your life. He puts himself in the place of temptation, being very comfortable among the enemies of God, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. First John 2.16, the eye gate. He ascended back up to Zara to tell his father in verse 2. So he went up and he told his father and his mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. He's a little kid. He's spiritually immature. He is self-will. Now, the father and mother... Particularly the father makes the arrangements for the marriage in that culture. The phrase, I have seen a woman, literally means she is right in my eyes. 
He's even disrespectful to the submission authority of his father and his mother here, let alone God. The contradiction is that fact that she is a Philistine and violating his Nazarite vow, let alone the word of God in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 3. 2 Corinthians 6.14 Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers for what communion has light with darkness what fellowship has, uh, has a believer with an unbeliever. And sometimes people just they want to walk with God on the edge. And I've seen many young ladies just mess up their life because they don't pay attention. They believe they're the exception. I've seen young men after they're hurt you get caught up with the looks. Listen to me. You better look at that mug very good. And you better hope to God she's a Christian or a Christian. Because you're going to look at for the rest of your life. And there is no, no receipts, no returns. You're going to roll over in bed to that same person for the rest of your life. Marriage is the second most important decision you will ever make. The first being your salvation to accept Christ. He will affect you in everything in life. And the next person is the woman or man that you marry. You are stuck with them. Do you understand what I'm saying? (laughs) So you better pick them right. And if not, you've got no one to blame but you. You're the one, gentlemen, who as the woman says, will you marry me? If it's lust, woe to you. If it's carnality, well, to both of you. (laughs) If it's God, then you will rejoice. You will be blessed. Then sometimes in marriage, people become dishonorable. Even though they started well. Sometimes they walk away from God. And become disloyal to one's mate. Marriage is very, very, very personal. And God warns us about those things. And he tells us how to conduct ourselves in those situations. That we not rebel against God when that, those things happen. But we trust in the Lord. We look to him and we do what the word of God commands us to do and enables us to do. And so here, he is um, caught up with this girl. And he commands his parents, get her for me as a wife. Again, usually parents made the arrangements on uh, Genesis 28, 1 and 2, Genesis 24, 34. Uh, you have instances there of, uh, of arrangements by Jacob and others. Um, in verse 3, he says, then his father and mother said to him, is there no woman uh, among the daughters of your brethren, the Jews? Or among all my people, that you must go, my people, the tribe, that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistine. This phrase, uncircumcised Philistine, was a a demeaning term of one not of the covenant people of God. The Philistines were the primary enemies. They had been in the land since Abraham. Abraham had trouble with them. Um... Isaac had trouble with them. Shamgar has already killed a hundred of them or so. And uh, they're there in the coastal land, Gaza. Israel still has a problem with Gaza. Okay? Um, The name Philistines, where you get the whole aspect of the land of Palestine or the Palestinian nation. It was given to the land by Rome after the last rebellion, 132-35 A.D., they salted the land of Israel, killed the Jews, and left a few in there, and insulted them by naming the land, renaming it Palestinia. There has never been a Palestinian people. There has never been a Palestinian nation. No one ever claimed to be Palestinian before 1948. There were no borders or boundaries in that whole region. So it's a make-up, made-up history that is being used against Israel today. 
How do you get a Palestinian when you have Hagar, an Egyptian, and you have uh, a Jew married? How do you how do you get a Palestinian from that? You don't. Amazing. Egyptian and they're in Arabia. Wow. Now, they're shocked. They're rebuking him. And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. It's all about him. It's all about feelings, emotions. And if you don't choose a bride or a husband by the godly characteristics of the word of God and who they are in character, you're in for a great shock and destruction of your life. 37 years I've been ministering. I've been talking to young and old in marriage. Number one rule, never assume anything. Ask all the questions you need to before you get married. It's too late afterwards. Make sure that God is leading you. And make sure that God is the one who is directing you into that marriage. And he will honor it. He will bless you. Verse 4. It says, But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. They were the ones who had all the weapons, as, we, as Samuel tells us, verse um, chapters. And they were the ones who had the uh, sharpening tools for all the farm tools. So the Israelis were subjugated to them. They had limited uh, freedom. Um, but notice here in verse 4, kind of an awkward verse that almost seems like God is behind this uh, unequally yoke attraction. But that in itself would tell us that we are wrong about it. Here in verse 4, the commentary, it does not mean that God was behind the compromise of the marriage. It means that his parents did not know that God was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. So God would use even this disobedience to use him against the Philistines. Okay? And I've heard many crazy things by Christians. You know, they go out and commit adultery or they go back into drugs. They, well, you know, but you know, it was, God knew all about it and he's going to use it for his glory. Shut up. What are you talking about? Don't make God part of your sin. God didn't predestine you to sin. God didn't force you to sin. You did that on your own. Most of the time comes from Calvinists because everything's decreed by God. So if I did it, then it's God. No, God doesn't tempt any man with evil. He doesn't tempt any man. But every man is tempted and carried away by his own lust, James tells us, right? So you can't blame God for your sin, nor I. You have a free will. And in spite of the stupid decisions we may make, and the hurt we add to our life, God can take the wrath of man and glorify himself. But do not say that God predestined you to commit that evil. That is an insult of the greatest to God. If anything good comes from this life, God gets the credit. All the bad stuff is mine. I'm responsible for the bad stuff. God's responsible for the good stuff. Simple rules. <laughs> It's not that complicated. Now in 5 down to 9, the encounter of Samson with the lion is given to us. So Samson went down um, to Timnah and, um, with his father and his mother. And they came to a vineyard at Timnah. And um, again down from the altitude of uh, where he lived. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against them. So he's attacked by a lion there. And you know, that region had lions and bears. David spoke about taking a lamb out of the uh, mouth of a lion and a bear. Um, he told Saul in 1 Samuel 17, 34, 37. 
And uh, it jumped on him, attacked them. And verse 6 says, The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. Though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Now, what the heck's going on here? A lion attacks him, and his parents don't know about it, and they're all together. Well, they're going across the vineyards of Timnah, and they must have gone on different paths. Simple. And when he was alone going through there, the lion attacked him. He tore him up like a little rag doll. His parents were unaware of it here. And then in verse 7 it says, Then he went down and he talked with the woman and she pleased Samson well. And so here again, Samson arrived at Timnah, spoke to the woman, and he's all enamored with her. He is just turned on. He's just, he's head over heels. And after some time, when he uh, returned to get her, so the arrangement everything has been done, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. Now, he's already broken the vow by killing this lion and touching a dead body. Now he comes through, there's honey. That's like decomposition. It breaks down. It's in a carcass, a dead carcass. He's breaking the vow again. And he took some of it in his hand and he went along eating it. So yeah, he's just, man, no big deal. He just, they, 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 he's just a very self-centered man. He, he's supposed to be a representative of God, but he's a bad representation of God's servant. And when he came to his father and his mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he didn't tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Wow. This was against the Levitical law. You couldn't touch something dead, a dead carcass, and partake of food in that. Samson is unconcerned about his vow, his sanctification, consecration to God. That's what a Nazarite means. Separated one. And he doesn't respect even the sanctification of his parents. He's not concerned about it. A self-centered person doesn't share truth. He always hides truth. You can lie by not telling the truth when someone asks you. Or you can lie by omitting information you should have told somebody. Both ways is lying. He could care less. He just doesn't matter to him. Now, in verse 10 to 14, the wager regarding the riddle comes in now. In 10, it says, For his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there uh, for young men, uh, used to do so. And... It happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. So apparently here now, whether they are bridegrooms here for that, or some people have suggested bodyguards against him, which I don't think, um, the feast is on. The uh, arrangements have been made. The parents caved in. Don't miss this. If your son or daughter wants to be unequally yoked and they're living in your home under age, you say no and you stand by it. And you do not allow it to take place. If they are older, gone from the home already, you let them know exactly how you feel and what the Bible says. If they choose to go against the word of God in your will, that's up to them. But you can't approve of it. It's impossible. Some people, well, you know, I mean, they love each other and it's all going to work out. What do you mean it's all going to work out? You're disobeying God and now you're compromising. And now you're part of this whole thing. And you think God's going to honor this? There's no way. I can't tell you of countless of occasions where parents rationalize things and they just compromise for their children. 
They hold up good when their children are small and everything. Then when their children get old, they compromise everything. They destroy everything they taught them. Verse 12, Then Samson said to them, Let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. Now, these changes of um, garments was uh, linen garments rectangular that were undergarments. And sometimes um, they were um, um, worn uh, outer robes. The change of garments were worn for festive occasions. And so, um, I mean, that's a lot of loot, 30 of them. Okay, so he gives them this riddle. Uh, but he says, but if you cannot explain it to me, verse 13, then you should give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. Well, you know, when you give a challenge to a bunch of knuckleheads. Oh, yeah. So they said to him, hey, pose your riddle that we may hear it. And so, he says to them in 14, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. They were stumped. But it came to pass on the seventh day, verse 15, that they said, from 15 down to 18, you have the solving of the riddle, riddle under the seed. He says, but it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? So the accuser of setting them up to rip them off for the money they had and they threatened her to kill her and her father by blazing the house. Nice, nice friends. Then Sam, but again, it's the world, right? Samson has no business there. Samson has no business dating or marrying a non-believer. Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. The old tears. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. I love this response. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother. So should I explain it to you? Whoa. You just got married? She has indicated his wife. He has indicated her husband. <laughs> wow. Now, she had wept on him the seven days while their feast lasted. Oh, quite a party. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so much that she explained or she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. And so the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, whoa, I have not shared it with my parents. Should I share it with you? You've plowed with my heifer? Man, what a way, you know. Some people get married and from their honeymoon, it begins. I mean... The altar was it. And it's been knockout, drag out. Insane. Why did you get married? For what reason? It happens all the time, ladies and gentlemen. All the time. Unless you're a Christian and you humble yourself and you realize the role that you're to play a husband and wife and the awesome responsibility you have towards God. You will do some of the most stupid things with yourself, with the institution of marriage, and your mate. We are bad news. God help us. Verse 19. 
to 20, you have the payment of the wager regarding the riddle. Solomon says, all right, I lost, no sweat. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ascalon, and he killed 30 of the men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Whoa. Worldly ways, right? Don't think much of marriage. Things like this happen. He went about 20 miles, killed some Philistines. They're his enemies anyway. Pays his debt. Samson misused the power of God for his own benefit. God helped the men or the women who misuse and abuse the power of God and the place and position that God has given them to benefit themselves, to rip off the flock, or to abuse the people of God. God helped them. There are always men like that in every generation. And we are warned about them. The shepherd feeds the flock of God. He does not fleece the flock of God. A shepherd lives with the people, among the people. He's not above the people. A shepherd's to be around for the people, to be able to pray with them, to speak with them, to eat with them. That's what a shepherd is. Jesus is a classic example. He's the greatest model. And so, he pouted like a little kid, went home. So, his father-in-law fixed him, gave his bride away. He didn't even consummate the wedding, as we'll see in the next chapter. He thought he'd go back there and have a great time after his anger went down. Surprise! You don't have a wife anymore. He hung out in the world, right? How many Christians I've known who have gone to play with fire in the world and they have gotten burned severely. Just destroyed them. You cannot undo, ladies and gentlemen, or redo anything. Whether you're a non-believer or a Christian, once it's done, it is done. So think before you jump off the building. Look over and make sure there's something to land on. If it's concrete, don't look while you're going down. Stay in the Lord's camp. You're in the world, but not of the world. The boat belongs in the water. When the water gets in the boat, the boat gets in trouble. Stay right in the palm of his hand. Lord, thank you for your grace and love. We thank you for your goodness. We pray you speak to our hearts. And Lord, we thank you for your mercy, Lord. Not one of us deserve it. All of us deserve just your judgment. And yet you are so kind to us. We pray that we would encourage one another. We would look to you, depend upon you. And that we would be there to uh, support and to do what we can for each other, Lord. Lord, help us to not fear confronting and and even reproving, rebuking those that we love, lest they add to their hurt. Lord, we thank you. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. You might be over the internet. Then God wants to save you. If you believe Jesus is God who became man, died for your sins and rose from the dead, that's the gospel. And he can save you if you ask him to forgive you. It's by grace through faith because of what he's done. And you're believing what God has declared about the gospel. If you want to repent of your sins, this is your prayer to the Lord. You can repeat it. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. 
Give me a brand new heart. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.